in time, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 6. I want to invite you to open your Bible there. Genesis chapter 6. The Lord is good and faithful. Um, This morning what we're going to do is focus on the character of God, who He is, one of the attributes or characteristics of God. And it's significant. Noah was characterized as walking with God. We have to know who He is before we can walk with Him. It isn't know who He is according to what I want to know about Him. It's know who He is according to who He says He is. Whether it fits in my convenient um, God box understanding or not. And this morning we're going to have a little bit of a challenging passage. Uh, We're in Genesis chapter 6. We are in the middle of our In the Beginning God series, uh, study through Genesis 1 through 11. And we were introduced to Noah at the end of chapter 5. In chapter 6, just a little bit of review, we learned of fallen angels actively mingling with the daughters of men. And this added to the evil of that day. Um, was um, complete on the face of the earth. It wasn't the only source of evil, these sons of God cohabiting with the daughters of men. We saw Satan in his deception in Genesis chapter 3. That led to man's sin, which in time brought Cain, who murdered his brother, and then all of the other complications of sin that came along along with the fall. And now, uh, in chapter 6, angelic evil is added to the spiritual decline of the earth. We're 1,600, 1,700 years uh, into um, when God created the earth. All of this resulted in God giving an incredibly strong declaration. The wickedness of man was great on the earth, chapter 6, verse 5, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Also in chapter 6, verse 11, Scripture says the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Um, one person said God had made a man in his own image to respond with a heart of love to God's love. But now every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a contrast. Man had been told to multiply and fill the earth, chapter 1, verse 28. But now the earth was filled with violence and evil, chapter 6, verse 11. And so there's a strong declaration made by God. I can't help, this is just a little bit of a side note, I can't help but wonder if the fallen angelic activity uh, intermingling sons of God with the daughters of with the daughters of men was one of the enemy's attempts, uh, one of his many attempts to thwart or to complicate God's plan of redemption. God had already proclaimed uh, a prophetic utterance in chapter three as part of the curse on the on the uh, serpent. Um, other other uh, complications or attempts to thwart God's plan would come. Even still future, we have the Antichrist and the false prophets, and so they're still coming. And I wonder if chapter 6 is just uh, one of those attempts as well. We finished last week with a strong word about spiritual warfare. It's real. Um, it is uh, complex. It's complicated. In Second Peter, in the context that mentioned Genesis chapter 6 activity and then Noah's situation and then Sodom, Peter reminds his readers the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials 
Noah was the one he was speaking of, and us by extension, all of those who believe, and to, to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially, he says, those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. So we would think of defiling passions, lust of the flesh, things that are immoral. We think that has a heavy weight to it, and it does. But he puts right beside that those who despise authority. And so despising authority is equal to the immorality of the day as well. And Peter said, God knows how to rescue us as followers of Christ. Um, That doesn't mean that we always walk without difficulties or persecution, but he knows how to rescue us as well as he knows how to keep those bound for judgment bound. Now that doesn't mean He isn't saying that all those who work unrighteousness or evil are already imprisoned. He's not saying that or are under punishment. But those who are, and that would be these evil fallen angels, those who are, God is able and powerful enough to keep there until a final judgment. Jesus, if you remembered, after his death, before his resurrection, even went and preached to those that were imprisoned. I have the victory. I am king of kings. I am Lord of lords. It would have been a great message to have been able to hear. God is that powerful, and his will will be accomplished, but it's important to recognize that it's his will, and it's not mine, nor is it yours, nor is it ours even after redemption, but it's his will, his understanding, and so we seek to understand him as well as uh, his plan as much as we can. Peter is saying, as believers, we can trust God. And we believe that, don't we? Amen? We believe that we can trust God. This morning, I want us to work through a topic that we find in Genesis 6 that speaks about the character of God. I was planning on doing a little bit about this topic and then focusing the majority of the message on Noah walked with God. But I didn't get to do that. Um, the, the topic today is not going to be Noah walked with God. We'll get into Noah and his life and the testimony that he had um, next week, and we might say a little bit about it this week. But the focus today is on the character of God. I'm going to read verses 5 through 13 to give us a bigger picture. It says, God regretted he was sorry that he had made mankind. How can we fit that God regretted that he was sorry that he made mankind into our understanding of who God is. But if we want to walk with him, we have to understand him for who he declares himself to be. So it's pretty critical that we understand that. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animal and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless, or complete is the same. It doesn't mean sinless, blameless, complete, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Now the earth, verse 11, was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So it wasn't just mankind, but it was mankind, the animals, the creeping thing, the birds of the heavens, all because of the fall of mankind, everything was affected. And God said, I regret that I made mankind. I'm sorry. It grieves my heart. I'm going to blot out every living thing from the face of the earth. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so we see God's grace there. How can we make that declaration of who God is fit in our understanding of who God is and declares himself to be? And that's what we want to try and tackle this morning. God regretted he was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And the reasons for this is because of the vast evil that was present during Noah's day. Listen to these verses, uh, these phrases from these verses. Verse 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Also verse 5, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. Also verse 11, the earth was filled with violence. Verse 12, all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 12 also, the earth is filled with violence. Clearly, sin has had its effect and evil was at its peak in the days of Noah. And I find it interesting, and we'll get there one of these next couple of weeks, that Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So it isn't going to get better and better. Um, it's going to get worse and worse, and sin is going to be rampant, and evil is there, and aren't we there already? And yet there still is a staying power, but you remove the Holy Spirit from that staying power, and it's going to get worse. And how does that happen? It happens at the rapture of the church, and then it gets worse and worse. So much so that God said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. And he would do that with a flood, and I know we know that, but it says in verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we're going to talk more about Noah at, uh, next week at length, but for now, let's just say that we're thankful for his devotion to the Lord. Not only was God merciful and graceful in, in finding favor and declaring it upon Noah, but Noah also had a tremendous devotion to God. He walked with God. He knew who he was for who he declared himself to be, and Noah walked with him, and he was the only one in the entire population of the earth at that time that it was declared, this man walks with me. That's what was declared about Noah. I want to remind us that as we seek to understand, but I want you to hear this. We don't just want to understand. We want to seek to understand and then to know God, and then that's for the purpose of walking with God. If we don't get to the walk with God, our understanding and our knowledge of who he is doesn't serve to the glory of God. He wants us to walk with him, like the declaration about Noah, to know him for who he has revealed himself to be, it's who, he, who he has revealed himself to be. Not who theology books tell me that God is, but who he has revealed himself to be. That's critical. 
He's revealed himself. to It's important to remember that not just as a, not just a singular passage um, that we're going to consider right now, but we have to remember other passages of Scripture as well that declare who God is, and that helps us understand and, and, and understand the passage and know him and walk with him. A truth from Scripture, and we could choose many, but a truth from Scripture that seems critical to our understanding of this Genesis passage is that in the mind of God, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. So before Genesis 6 came into the picture, before the sons of God cohabited with the daughters of men, before Satan tempted Eve, before man fell, in the mind of God, Jesus was already crucified before the foundation of the earth. So if, if Noah hadn't found favor with God, that would undo all of God's plan for all of eternity. And so we recognize that that's not a proper understanding. Um, we, we have to remember that as we seek to understand God um, repenting or relenting or regretting or being sorry that he made mankind, it's also in light of the picture. It has the backdrop of Jesus coming to the earth to die on the cross before the foundation of the earth. It's critical that we understand that as well as some others, but that one serves. Revelation chapter, a truth from Scripture that seems critical is that. Revelation 13, verse 8. I like the New King James Version and then a little bit of the uh, uh, English Standard Version. Uh, Revelation 13, 8 says this. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. That would be the first beast in the end times whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. The ESV says, slain before the foundation of the world. In God's plan, in his mind, Genesis 6 didn't surprise him. Jesus was already going to be provided for. He was going to make himself man, and he would be slain before the foundation of the world. That was God's plan. John 1.29 says, The next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's part of the understanding of God repenting or relenting or being sorry that he had made mankind. It's in the backdrop. Let's work through the challenge that God regretting or was sorry that he had made man on the earth. This can be a challenge or actually help us in our understanding of who God declares himself to be. And I find it challenging, but it also helps me understand that, you know what? God doesn't fit in my nice, neat little God box as, as nicely as I would like. God is otherly, and he gets to be that because he's the creator. He's otherly. That God would say to Noah, I regret I'm sorry that I've made man on the earth and that it would grieve him to his heart might make us wonder, did God not know that this was going to happen beforehand? When he created Adam and then he brought Eve to Adam and then the rest of the rest of in the beginning, God began to have. Did he not know that Genesis six and all of the evil that was going to take place was going to happen so much so to the place that he said, I regret or that I'm sorry. Of course he knew. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. He's all-knowing, he's omniscient, he's all-powerful, so the days of Genesis 6 would not have surprised him. But at the same time, he allowed man, now with a sinful heart, after the fall, to digress into, a vast, into vast evil because of sinful nature, and Genesis 6 is where it took them. Their thoughts and intents of their heart are always evil continually. So he let that flow, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Just like God told Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. And this is where sin took the world. So that, so that, so that God said, I'm going to destroy everything that's walking except for Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives, and the animals that he provided. Listen to some scriptures that declare God's consistency, his immutability, his unchangeableness, if you will. Hebrews chapter 1 describes God this way. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hand. They'll perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will never fail. God is unchangeable. He's the same all the time. So how can Genesis 6 then How can God say that I'm sorry, that I regret that I've made mankind, and yet at the same time, the truth of God is always the same? How can they cohabit? How can they be together? In Malachi, God says this, chapter 3, verse 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Children of Jacob were God's elect, His chosen, Israel. And He said, because I don't change, I haven't done away with you or destroyed you because you're evil as well. But it's not about that. It's about me and being unchangeable. That's Malachi chapter 3. Hebrews 13, you know this one, says, it it tells us Jesus Christ is the same when? Yesterday and today and forever. Again, in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 23 says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Uh Uh-oh. Has he not said? Will he not do it? Or has he spoken? Will he not fulfill it? So God regretting or being sorry that he made man on the earth seems to challenge our understanding of the truth of his consistency, of his immutability, of his unchangeableness, something that the passages that we just read, and that's just a few, declare very clearly. And so we have to, as much as we can, allow those to fit together. So how can we put those two together, that God is unchanging, and yet he regretted or was sorry that he had made man in Genesis chapter 6 to the point that he was going to destroy uh, everything that was flesh, save Noah and those that were on the ark. Try this. God is unchanging, period. But because of man's changing, God sometimes changes how he deals with man, allowing him to be holy, allowing him to be immutable, unchanging, but because of man's fickleness, because one day I can be up and another day I can be down. One day I can want to honor God, the other day I I don't want to honor God, because because Noah walked with God, but the whole rest of the earth was evil in 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 the eyes of the Lord. God is unchanging, but because of man's changing, God sometimes changes how he deals with man. Genesis 6 is an example of this, 1,700, 1,800 years into creation. I want us to look at another example of this as well, and this is the example of Saul, the first king of Israel. So I want to invite you to open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15, the story of Samuel um, with Saul when God was taking away the kingdom of Israel from, from Saul. You'll remember that he was the first king and God was getting ready to take his kingdom away and he uses some words that seem to go completely contrary to the idea that he's unchanging or that he's immutable. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10 says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret 
that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. So he once followed the Lord, and he turned back from following him, for he, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And check this one out. And Samuel was angry. And he cried out to the Lord all night. I would like to have been a mouse there just to see how, how Samuel's anger was expressed before the Lord. He was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you in the Lord. He still had this God talk thing going on, even though he had turned his back from honoring the Lord. Blessed be you in the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Had he performed the commandment of the Lord? No, he hadn't. He had done most of what the Lord had asked him to do or told him to do, but he didn't do all that the Lord had told him to do, but he said he did. Blessed be you of the Lord. I performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? He was supposed to annihilate. And he didn't do that. And so Samuel hears these sheep in the background and these oxen in the background. If you did everything that the Lord had asked you to do, why am I hearing what I'm hearing is what it comes down to. Saul still had God talk, but he didn't have God devotion. He didn't walk with the Lord. In verse 25, Saul talks about worshiping the Lord. Samuel says to him, you have rejected the word of the Lord in the midst of using God talk. Blessings upon you. I've, I've done the commandments of the Lord. Verse 15, Saul said, they, the people, blame shifting just like Adam did, just like Eve did, just like Cain did. But they have, brought, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The rest we've devoted to destruction. So we did everything, almost, and destroyed everything, but we're, we kept this good stuff back so that we could really worship the Lord. Only God didn't want that. He wanted obedience. And then Samuel said to Saul, verse 16, stop. I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he, Saul, spoke to him and said, speak. Verse 17, Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, fight against them until they're consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on mission on which the Lord sent me. Still struggling, still kind of elbows and armpits trying to justify that he had done what God wanted him to do. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek. That was not part of the Lord's commandment, but Saul included it like it was. I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction, but the people and I have, uh, but the people took the spoils, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel said, "Has the Lord as great delight in burning burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord?" Can I bring that down to 2023 in our church? 
God is much more concerned about your heart and a heart that desires to know him for who he is, to walk hand in hand with him like Noah walked with the Lord, much more so than you bringing some kind of an offering into church, much more so than you doing some kind of an activity and calling it ministry in the name of the Lord. He wants the relationship, and he doesn't get the relationship if we're just doing the stuff. And that's what Saul said he was doing, though he wasn't even doing that well. Behold, to obey, Samuel said, is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion, here's that resistance against authority again, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, look at what God did, he has also rejected you from being king. So he repented, he relented, God did, he repented, he relented, he changed his mind. Saul walked with the Lord, but when he turned his back on walking with the Lord, God said, I am taking the kingdom away from you. He repented or relented of that. Verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Finally able to own it. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I've feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. He was all about the picture. He was all about the right words, but he wasn't doing what the Lord wanted. But Samuel said to him, I will not return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. And so Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And we know that to be David, a teenager. And also, and look at this wrapped up right in this passage where God relented and also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent for he is not man that he should relent and we go back to Genesis chapter 6 and God said I'm sorry it hurts my heart it grieves me that I've made man he's just evil always only continually and it appears that he's changed his mind and yet we find these clear declarations in the verses that we read that God doesn't change his mind he's immutable he's consistent all of the time so it seems that God never, that doesn't seem, God never changes, exclamation mark, and it seems that in his character, in, a, in accordance with and equal to his holiness, because man changes, God sometimes changes in his activities and the way he treats mankind. We see that in Genesis chapter 6, and we see it as well in this, in this uh, picture of, of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. We could look at other examples as well. You know what the problem is with that? Me, I like a nice, neat box. This is who God is, so I can understand him. It shouldn't surprise us that God is otherly, that God is beyond what I can understand. And I have to declare what Scripture clearly declares, that he's unchangeable, he doesn't lie, he doesn't, he doesn't change his mind. And yet at the same time, we have pictures like Genesis 6 and 1 Samuel chapter 15 and others that we could choose as well. In this passage where God regrets, he's also declared as the one who does not relent. Relent means to repent, to relent, to be sorry for, to be moved, to pity, to have compassion for. The very thing that happened in Genesis 6 is happening here in 1 Samuel chapter 15 as well. So here, when Saul changed, God changed his dealings with Saul according to his holiness. 
God's holiness. Just like in Genesis 6, when man became uncontrollably evil, God changed his dealings with them. He said, I'm sorry that I've made man on the face of the earth. I'm going to destroy and blot them out. All flesh has become corrupt. One commentator wrote this. Although God, has made a, had, although God had made a perfect world for man and had been marvelously long-suffering towards his creatures, there finally came a time when, in justice to his own holiness, he had to terminate man's boundless wickedness. Any further delay would have completely prevented the accomplishment of God's purpose in and for mankind. Man's outward wickedness had become great in the earth because his inward imagination had become completely evil and always only evil. And so God said, Noah, build an ark. You've walked with me. I'm gonna, I've, I've favored you, and I'm going to repopulate the earth through you as well. And we'll find that as we, as we study Noah's story. But you know what's interesting is all of that godly promised line, that promised seed from, from uh, Genesis chapter 5, from Adam all the way down to Noah, the line of Seth, they were part of it too. They were part of the wickedness. It wasn't just Cain and his line that was part of the wickedness and the other children that Adam and Eve had. Scripture says that as well. But also Seth. It was, all, it was only Noah that found favor in the eyes of the Lord. If you're interested, I have a couple of pages from a commentary as well as an article that I'd like to forward to you. Just text me and I'll make sure that you get that. You might ask, and this is kind of a, an application. You might ask, since God regretted since he was sorry and changed his dealings with mankind, does that put my salvation in danger? Is my walk with God in danger? Because although God is immutable, that he doesn't change, but because I can be fickle and I change, does that put my salvation in danger? Might God change his mind about the forgiveness that he's given me in Christ Jesus? And I would say, no, your salvation is dependent upon something higher than you. It's dependent upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who made himself flesh. Now, what you need to concentrate on that Scripture tells us several places in the New Testament is test yourself and make sure that you're in Christ. Not that you just know about Christ, because it isn't just about knowing about Christ. It isn't, it isn't about knowing who God is and having all of those check marks lining up. It's about knowing who he is, worshiping him for who he is, and walking with him, and that I'm genuinely in Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Not upon anything that you or I have done or could do. The important spiritual dynamic for you and for me is to be in Christ. And it seems like a very reasonable, logical, spiritually wise thing to do from time to time to allow the Lord and his word to search my heart and ask the question, am I demonstrating the fruit of being a born-again believer? Am I in Christ? Much more than just a prayer that I prayed when I was seven or eight years old or whenever it was that you prayed it. Much more than having gone through waters of being baptized. Much more than, than coming to church. It's am I in Jesus Christ? Do I recognize he died on the cross for the sin of mankind, but he died on the cross for Jerry, for the sin of Jerry, and I receive him, John chapter 1, verse 12, as my Lord and my Savior, and I yield myself to him. Can I go up and down a little bit because of my fickleness? Yes, I can, and I'm growing in the Lord, and it should be 
more up than it is down, but my salvation is dependent upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I think it even emphasizes the importance of walking with God like Noah walked with God. We'll talk about that next week and some of the characteristics of what it means to walk with God. It's an evidence of being in Christ. If I don't have the spiritual hunger and thirst for righteousness that should be there, it should cause me to question whether I'm in Christ or not. No matter how much I know about him, do I have a hunger for God? Do I have a hunger for his word? Do I have a thirst for his word for right? You know what it is to be thirsty? You've worked out on a, in, the, in the lawn on a hot day and, you, and you're parched and you're thirsty in your mouth. That's being thirsty. And we should be thirsty for righteousness as well. It's an evidence that I'm in Christ. Philippians chapter 1, Paul wrote this, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may know him, not know who I say he is, but know him for who he says he is, even if it's difficult to understand, that I may know him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the spiritual drive that comes from the Lord. It isn't something that I can will up. I can will it up for a little while. I can be religious even for a lifetime, but the spiritual drive has to come from the Lord. God is consistent. He's immutable. He's unchanging. Scripture declares him as such. At the same time, because of man's inconsistencies, his fickle heart, God at times changes his dealings with man, always according to his holiness and his character. Genesis chapter 6 shows us that. 1 Samuel chapter 15 with Saul shows us that. We could look at others' examples as well. You might say, that's hard to fit in my understanding God box. It should be hard to fit. Knowing who God is for who he really is should be extremely difficult. My mind is finite. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around. We have what he's given us uh, as an understanding of himself, and our goal is to seek to understand him for who he is. In whatever level of understanding Noah had, he had a life devoted to the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, it says in verse 8. It clearly speaks of God's mercy and grace. It isn't Noah earning his way uh, into favor with God, but it also speaks of Noah's devotion to the Lord. This is what it says of Noah, and we'll finish with this today. Verse 22 of chapter 6, Noah, he did all that God commanded him. When God commanded Noah to do something, he did all that God commanded him, completely contrary to the evil that was in his day. And so my question for us is, do we understand God for who he says he is, not just who I want him to be, and then are we walking with him and doing what it is that he commands? Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. Thank you for the difficult challenges in Scripture that stretch us and grow us and cause us to seek you, and that's what we do. We seek you. We want to know who you are. We want to understand who you are, but not just so we know who you are and understand who you are. We want to know and understand so we can walk with you in a way that's pleasing to you, and we recognize on this side that that's always being in Christ. Give us hearts that are turned to that, and we ask that for your glory, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.